everything is a choice. Does that mean you can't have it all? No, that maybe you have to generate higher income then, which is fine if that's a choice you want to make. So the question is, do you want to give up your time for all those extra things you want? Or do they really not matter? And how do you know they really matter? Because more often than not, everyone's keeping up with the Joneses. They're buying stuff to impress people they don't even care about because society says we need this and we need that. Do you? This can't be it. There has to be more. Wait, am I crazy? No. If you're yearning for more and working hard to make your dreams a reality, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Dreamcatchers. It's the only show committed to helping you self-actualize and then transcend, leaving you with the legacy you've always desired. Listen in on conversations with successful philanthropists, entrepreneurs, and founders every week as we connect with them for inspiration, education, and direction. Your host, Jerome Myers, is here to help you exit the matrix and transform into a leader of your own revolution. The question is, do you believe your dreams should be real? Hey, everybody, welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome, and you all have the pleasure of hearing from Rocky Lavani today. Rocky, where are you? Pittsburgh, Jersey, New York, Connecticut. Where are you in the Northeast? In between all of that, I'm in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Harrisburg, PA. Shout out to my man, Pankaj Sharma, for taking me to your your town and showing me around. I was like, Rocky, do you know this guy? He's like, "Uh, maybe, but, you know, anyway. So for the listeners, we do things a little different because they don't always like to wait all the way to the end to figure out how they can find out more about you. So, Rocky, what's the best way for the listeners to get in contact with you? Uh, my main website is profitcomesfirst.com. And on there, there's a contact form. And it also links to both of my podcasts, both Richer Soul, uh, where you were a guest, and also to Profit Answer Man, where we teach people how to run their business efficiently. Oh, boy. Wait, you threw out the P word already. We got to dive into <laughs> this thing, right? So how do you become the guy that starts talking about profit? Are, are you the profit? <laughs> uh, so there, there's two two kinds of profit, right? You know, there's the guy who who tells the future and then there's profit, which is you, what your company is supposed to make at the end of the day, excess cash, believe that or not. And so I talk about the excess cash. How do you create those dollars so that you can go do whatever it is that you want and build wealth and have freedom in your life. Ooh, I think the listeners are leaning in on that one. So most businesses don't make a profit. So how did you become the guy who starts helping people figure out how to make a profit or have excess cash? I I don't think you can ever have too much cash. (laughs) You can never have too much cash. Cash is king, right? That was a long convoluted journey. It took a lot of wrong turns <laughs> until I finally figured out what my skills were, how valuable they were, and then how to bring it all together and let people know what I do and how I help them. But yeah, a, a long, way too long of a convoluted journey. <laughs> really? So did you like get a accounting degree? Some people think accountants equal cash. Is it, what? what is it? Like, how do you... How do you get to the place where you can start helping businesses get to a place of excess cash? Because I think most business owners are trying to figure out how to be profitable. So accountants don't generally teach you how to get excess cash. 
I don't have an accounting degree. I have a Bachelor of Science in Economics and I have an MBA. Neither of those programs taught me anything about how to get excess cash. So if you think you're going to go get an MBA and run your business, good luck to you. (laughs) Ain't going to (laughs) happen. So the whole story starts back in high school. Steve Jobs came out with this thing called the Apple II computer, right? And I'm a tech geek. I had, you know, the first computers and I was learning how to how to do all of that. And along the way, what I started to learn was a program called VisiCalc, which was the first electronic spreadsheet. So here I am in high school walking into a Fortune 500 company teaching their accountants how to go from paper ledger to actually using electronic spreadsheets to to make things faster and simpler. And then when I was in college, I worked for a bank and they were like, hey, you know how to do this spreadsheet thing? Go go run our spreadsheets for us. I said, sure. And I graduated college and I thought, hey, this is perfect. I'll build spreadsheets for people. Here's the problem, Jerome. It's the late 80s. There's no internet, right? I don't know how to run a business. I don't know the value of what I know. And so how how do you like what do you tell people who still don't even understand what a spreadsheet is because it's all new technology to say I'll build spreadsheets for you they'd be like what well, why right so I don't even know how to market it so I went a different direction you know I kind of followed the easy path I got a job in sales and I made a lot of money because I had been taught as a kid how to build wealth and how to talk about money and how to create the gap which is the underlying principle of profit first, how do you create a gap between what comes in and what goes out and still enjoy life? Okay. So is this talk around the dinner table? Like how do you learn as a kid to build wealth? So when we were kids, there was no internet and tablets, right? There were like four TV channels. So when your parents got together, the kids were forced to sit there and listen to them. (laughs) And so my parents are immigrants. They would get together with their other immigrant friends and they would talk about how do we create this life in America. And within our culture, it's normal to talk about money. So they would be talking about money and I'd just be listening and just kind of taking it in. And I think I had a natural bent because I remember as a kid, I'm like, I want to be a millionaire. That sounds like a good plan. And so I was always just listening and learning and understanding that. And I would read you know, the Wall Street Journal, or I read financial books or read money, you know, the different things that I could get my hands on. And back then we used to listen to AM radio. So I would love listening to the financial talk show programs, but they always left a part out and I could never understand that. It took me forever to figure it out. And and I finally did it again. I told you it was a long convoluted journey. Today, you get on YouTube, you learn it in 10 minutes. It's not that hard. (laughs) Now information is no longer gold, right? Taking action is gold. And that's kind of the difference. Well, what part did they leave out though? So Dave Ramsey tells you, you shouldn't go into debt, buy a house for cash, right? How do you buy a house for cash? That's the part he left out. Where do you get this cash from? Like I'm sitting here doing the math. If I have to buy a house for cash, okay, I make this much. I can save five or 10 grand a year. I'd be dead before I have enough money to buy a house for cash, basically on that that plan. What he didn't tell you was build a business that's highly profitable and use that money from there to go invest in real estate, not because you're making your money in real estate, which you can do, 
but because you're using the money you make somewhere else in a business to invest in the real estate. All these shows didn't talk about how they were making money in business and how they were making and generating these excess profits and how all these these levers go together and how you can do that. Okay. And so do you come in and consult with businesses and help them look at their expenses? Like, what is the process of creating that gap? Because I think that's where most people get jammed. They do. So there's two steps to this, right? There's the first step, which is what profit first is. And, and let's just explain what profit first is. If you've heard Dave Ramsey or you've heard the way people used to do things in the old days, they had envelopes, right? Maybe you taught your kids how to save with an envelope. So each envelope had money for a purpose. Maybe it was rent, utilities, Christmas. People actually used to save for Christmas, right? Every week they put a couple bucks in an envelope. Christmas came, they had the money to buy the gifts. Now we swipe, which is a whole different problem. And so people used to put money in envelopes. The money had a purpose and then they would use it for that purpose. And when it ran out, well, they figured something out, right? You got more resourceful. And what Profit First does the same thing for business. When the money comes into the business, you started a business to be profitable. Yet most people think profit is an event, not a habit. What if every time you sold something, you took your profit first and you put that aside? Now, we're not going to use envelopes because I don't want stacks of envelopes sitting in your office with tens of thousands of dollars. We use bank accounts and we have an account called profit. So as soon as you sell something, put money in your profit account. Put money in your pay account because you deserve to get paid. Most business owners put themselves last on the payroll line, right? They hold off cashing the paycheck. Well, if you're not solid, how do you run a solid business? You know, if you've got trouble at home with the finances, you're not going to show up ready to run your business. So make sure you get paid first. And of course, Uncle Sam's going to take their cut. Let's not be a surprise when tax day comes. Let's have the money aside for Uncle Sam because it's theirs and they've got guns that, you know, you don't want to mess with them. (laughs) They will show up and take it when you least want them to. And then what we have less is what we truly have to spend our money on and our business or operating expenses. So this whole thing is based on Parkinson's law. Most people have not heard of Parkinson's law. Basically, what Parkinson's law says All the resources you give your business, they will use up, whether it's time or money. So you want to do something in your business. I want to open a new location. You call the guy up. He shows up. He goes, you want to open a new location? Two questions. How much money you got and how quickly do you want this done? You answer those two questions and that's what they're going. That's what it's going to end up taking. So if you say $100,000 in six months, it'll take $100,000 in six months. But if instead you say, hey, I've got three weeks and 10 grand, they'll find a way to do it in three weeks and 10 grand because they'll be more resourceful. There's a way to do it. Most business owners are smart people. When you put them to the screws, they'll figure out a way to get it done. But we all get lazy. And so what Profit First does in the the whole envelope system is it forces you to live within constraints. Now, people say, how do I live in constraints? This is too difficult as it is. I'm barely making it. It comes down to the 80-20 rule. Everyone's heard of the 80-20 rule, right? 20% of what you do produces 80% of the results. The next step is 40% of what you do produces 96% of the results. 
which means 60% of what you do gives you 4% of value. Figure out the 60% that you are absolutely wasting time and money and get rid of it. Because now you're living at 40% with 96% of the results, and you can double that. And now you have 80% with almost 192% of the result. And you still have 20% margin for life because life happens. You gave us all the math, man. Holy smokes. All right. So 40% of what I do is 90% of my results. And the other 60% is waste. Correct. Figure it out. Okay. 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 It's getting good in here now, Rocky. So you're telling me, look, 40%, if I'm working a 40-hour work week, you're saying, you're saying, 16 hours of my work week is creating 96% of my results. Yeah. What are you doing the rest of the time? Standing by the water cooler, the coffee machine, talking about the basketball game, being on conference calls that provide zero value to anybody there, listening to people complain, bitch and moan, going to lunch, like just cra- I, I, I've had people on my podcast. They're like, yeah, we're engineers. We got our work down to four, 10, 12 hours a week. And then we sit around and we have fun and we buy real estate and we do this, we do that with the other time at work. So, so this concept that you've got to work from 5 a.m. to 9 p.m. in order to be successful as an entrepreneur is mythology. I have never worked that hard and I will never work that hard. I used to work as little as possible. So I learned a lesson early on in my career. They would come to us and they'd be like, hey, do you want to get promoted? And I'm like, um, wait a minute. You want me to work twice as hard and you're going to pay me 25% more money. I'm like, you keep your money and I'll keep my time. And because you're telling me silly things, I'm going to figure out how to do it in half the time. And you just keep doing that, right? So I, I never worked very hard and I made good money and I built wealth and I had a wonderful life. So how were you able to leave the job and really focus in on doing your own thing, right? Because most people... Never get escape velocity. I had, I had massive escape velocity. I had, I had a, a massive runway. So, so I'm in a mastermind group and, you know, every week I'm talking to my guys going, I got to quit my job. I got to do this, you know, and I, I go and I walk away and I, we're moving along at the one year mark. And they're looking at me go, you know what the problem with you is you have too much runway. You need a little bit more. <laughs> fire in that movement. I'm like, but I don't want to work that hard. I built this business not to work hard. Why would I go kill myself doing things? Cause everyone tells you got to do this. You got to do that. You got to do this. And none of it provides any value. So what's runway? Cause people may not understand the terminology there. Runway means that I literally could have started this business and not made a single penny for three years. And my life would not have been affected because you had money in the bank because I had money in the bank. Cause we had other streams of income because we had other ways of doing things. Yeah. And because we maintain our cost of living well below what it could be. Right. So everyone tends to live to the edge. You have lifestyle inflation. The studies show once you make beyond 80 grand, and these are old studies, so with inflation, maybe it's 120 grand today. Once you make over that, your lifestyle or your happiness doesn't change. You go buy the next fancy card. You're happy for three days, and and then it gets old, and then it gets scratched, and then you still have that stupid payment for another four or five years. Just don't do it. Like 
let go of all these fancy things, do what you enjoy, like whatever your, your one little area of love is, you know, if you, if you love getting the coffee in the morning and get the coffee in the morning, but don't waste money on things that you don't care about and don't bring you happiness. So again, right. The 80, 20 rule comes back to that. 60% of what you spend money on is probably wasted and provides you very little happiness. Go look at your credit card bill. Go look at every line item and tell me if you can even remember what that was that you bought at that store. Where is it? And does it even make you happy anymore? And that's just in the last 30 days. In the last 30 days. So you're saying do an audit of where you're applying your resources. This concept of you know, only spending money on the things that really excite you is, is something I've dubbed selective extravagance, right? And so we're picking these areas of our life where we get an immense amount of joy by allocating resources to it. For me, it's cars, right? Other people is travel. Other people is pick the thing, whatever it is. But I don't feel guilty about that piece of my spending. And I think everybody has this space in the world where it's like, I know this doesn't make financial sense from the standpoint of efficiency of the use of that capital, but I get a lot of joy out of doing it. Do it. Right. But don't waste the other 60%. Yeah. 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 And so, but there are some people who are like, well, but I like this and I like this and I like this and I like this and I like this. Do I really have to choose or can I have it all? You can have anything you want, but you can't have everything you want. So, yeah, there, there is everything is a choice. Does that mean you can't have it all? No, that maybe you have to generate higher income then, which is fine if that's a choice you want to make. So the question is, do you want to give up your time for all those extra things you want? Or do they really not matter? And how do you know they really matter? Because more often than not, everyone's keeping up with the Joneses. They're buying stuff to impress people they don't even care about because society says we need this and we need that. Do you? A lot of people want to unlock their ultimate potential but lack the strategy, support, and stamina necessary to achieve their major goals. They often try to overcome these challenges by trying to do it on their own, causing frustration, fatigue, and eventually failure. We have developed a model for a center life, a.k.a. the red pill, to help them bolster their beliefs, gain clarity on their path to success, and provide accountability as they take action on their goals. When they take the red pill, they rapidly accelerate attainment of their goals and begin to experience a life of significance and impact. Want to find out more? Hop over to JeromeMyers.co. Now, let's get back to the episode. So... One of the tests that a mentor gave me when I was in my 20s was, if nobody could see what you were doing or what you have, would you still get it? And I was like, ooh. (laughs) Because if they can't see it or if they don't know, then you're really doing it for yourself versus doing it to impress people who probably really aren't paying attention and you don't really care about. It's, it's, It's a really humbling exercise. Um, So let's come back because you talked about, well, earn more. When you come into a business, what do you see are the top, I don't know, two or three things that they can do to help create that gap between income and expenses? So when we look at a business, we start at the beginning and your, your entire business is essentially a math equation. So the first question is, how many leads do you have coming in, right? How much 
interest is there in your business? And then the next question is, is how fast do you turn those over? So I get 10 leads a day. How many of those turn into paying customers? And the question is, is that becomes the math and can we change the math? If you only get one out of 10 of those leads into a, a client, well, what if we could change it to two out of 10? That would double your business, wouldn't it? With that little change. And these are how the levers work. And then how much is the average client worth? What's the lifetime value of the client? How many times do they buy? And then what's the price you're charging them? This is where it gets interesting. Too many business owners undercharge. They don't value their their work. Artists have trouble with putting a price on something. Craftsmen who do work, you know, a mechanic or a landscaper, they don't charge a price appropriate to what they want. Everyone's afraid. I don't know why. Everyone wants to be the lowest price. Thank you. I want to be the highest price because people are going to pay it, right? You see the cars that command the highest price. People still buy them. Right. And nobody wants the cheapest car. So why do we why do we price ourselves like that in business? And then you have to look at what are the costs of the business? I will be honest, just like people, business wastes money. And so it's look at your business and see where your your money is wasted. One of the biggest wastes of money these days is people sign up for all these free trials for this service, that service, and then they forget to cancel it. And they're paying all of this money for things that they don't use or that they used three years ago, stop using, and every year is auto-built. So look at that. Look at your employees. Are your employees providing value? Or did you just hire somebody to do something because you thought you needed it done, but the world changed, and now they're just sitting around wasting their day all day, twiddling their fingers because you gave them a job to do essentially nothing. So it's thinking through every single part of your business. Does this make sense? Are we providing value? Can I do it a different and faster way? So like I I, I don't do bookkeeping anymore, but I remember our, our first bookkeeping client that I had to do. It would take me hours upon hours to get the work done, but I kept improving my processes. So I got the hours and hours down to minutes. So think about that. If you can look at your processes in your business and things that take forever now take moments well, what happens to your profit margin? It skyrockets. So this is, you know, you hear this all the time that people tell you to start working on your business instead of in your business. This is the example of working on your business is looking at the different systems and practices. Why are we doing things this way? Well, because we always did them this way, but why did we always do them this way? Well, because somebody said to do that. Did you ever go back and challenge all those processes? Remove the waste. Ask why that still occurs and make yourself much more efficient. So that's a lot of what we do. We go through the different parts of the business and we challenge every part of it and say, you know, is this something your business needs or is this a luxury? Oh, I I need a truck. So I bought a Ford F-150 for a hundred grand, right? Do you need that? No. As a matter of fact, the joke we all have is When you see a landscaper with a fancy truck, it's inversely proportional to how long he's going to stay in business because he doesn't realize how much business he needs to generate to pay for that truck. Now, there's a lot of people who say, well, the first appearance matters. And if I show up in a beat up truck, then people are going to think maybe my prices are too high or they may say, my business isn't in good standing and they need to be very careful about 
doing business with me. So how, how do you balance the perception piece for when you show up to your customer's uh, job site or their home in that instance? Most people are not going to buy from you because of your truck or your office, right? Let's face it. You show up in a big fancy truck, they're going to be like, this guy's expensive. And, and that, you know, it, it, it provide value. People want their lawn cut. They don't care about your truck. They don't care about your mower. They care about the result they get. So it's a mindset shift. Now, don't, I mean, if you're going into a million dollar neighborhood, right? You got to have a reasonable truck or park it at the neighbor's house, <laughs> one or the other. Again, everything is relative. Unfortunately, today, like I would tell you to go buy a used truck, but today used trucks cost more than new trucks. So <laughs> the world is crazy. But in the beginning, you don't need the new truck. Once you build up the wealth, and you've got the money, then it's a it's a conversation. And again, there are ways to do this for less. So figure out how to do it for less. Now, I, I know some people who say usually the cheapest option ends up being the most expensive. Do you subscribe to that school of thought? It depends. It depends on, is it the cheapest because the person doing it doesn't have confidence to charge more? Or is it the cheapest because he's cutting every corner? Those are two different situations. So you're in the real estate world, right? We do a little bit. You do a little bit. So you know if you hire a single, you know, a craftsman who works by himself, more often than not, they're not going they don't have the overhead that they have to charge high prices because they don't have to pay for the truck, the the office person, the this software, the office building, the inventory. Are are they less than the person who's charging you more? I don't think so. They're probably better. And they probably don't have all these people on top of them managing them so they know how to get the job done quickly. And if they're good at what they do, then yeah. You have to judge each situation. Price does not reflect anything. I mean, tell me, what's the difference between a $20 bottle of wine and a $1,000 bottle of wine? The label? I've been to wine tastings where they've had, like uh, that, that last year, the wine tasting, they were serving all these hundred dollars of bottles of wine, and the bottle that won was the cheapest by a factor of like a major. It was the twenty percent. It was the bottle was twenty percent the cost of the expensive ones, and everyone voted it the best because they couldn't see the label. So what is that though? Because I, I do believe price is part of branding. It's part of branding, correct? But that doesn't mean it's better. It's perceived value. Oh, you know, I have an iPhone. Is it worth $1,000? I don't know. I can tell you that my the iPhone 8 probably does just about what the iPhone 13 does. And it's probably about 20% of the cost. Are you getting that much more value? Or is, oh, I have the latest iPhone. I'm cool. It texts the same, right? It checks emails the same. It makes phone calls the same. Where Where is the extra value? Especially, well... But I guess this kind of goes back. If you're a tech geek, right, then you need the newest tech in order to be in a space where you feel good in your space. It it probably wouldn't feel good for somebody who really likes electronics to have an older model phone with the older camera and so on and so forth. Because your selfie is that important. (laughs) So, you know, that's funny. You laugh at that. But I remember... Because I I I I've never really valued phones, but I specifically remember taking some pictures with an old phone, and then being told nobody 
actually is going to take you serious with these blurry photos. And literally changing the technology, getting a better camera did raise the perception of the brand as well as uh, credibility in a lot of different ways. Just for people who were at a distance and couldn't actually see behind the curtain and what the Wizard of Oz was making. And, And that is true. But the question is, is there really much of a difference? In the beginning, like with, you know, if you looked at maybe an older iPhone versus a newer one, there is a bit of difference. But then technology hits a certain point where the difference is imperceptible. You, you know, you Moore's have law to be, or something like that. Yeah. You have to be the expert to notice the difference. And again, that's fine. That's your choice, but make your choices. Intentionality is what you're saying instead of going with the flow and just doing what seems to be appropriate based on what other people are doing. Correct. Think about it. Make a decision. So you said something earlier. I skipped over, but I want to come back to it, Rocky. You said, hey, I'm in this mastermind. They challenged me. They, they said I had too much runway. What would make you join a mastermind? So I had one-on-one coaching for a while. That went wonderful. I've been to a lot of events. Um, The mastermind group is keeping you accountable, showing you possibility, pushing you forward. Um, At the end of the day, you you are the average of the five people that you were around. So I want to be around five great people, right? You're going to GoBundance next week. I've been to GoBundance. You know, that's a mastermind kind of group. You walk into that room. It is a very different conversation. You walk into that room and people are going, hey, my net worth is 4.2 million. Last year, I made 600 grand. This is how I made it. This is my goal for this year. This is how much I weigh. This is the problem I'm having with my wife. Can you help me? How often do you have those conversations? Where do you have those conversations? That's the difference of a mastermind. That ability to be vulnerable is something most people run away from. I just wonder how much better our lives would be if we could find that group that we felt comfortable being challenged by and then actually spend the time doing the work and being held accountable and reporting back on a regular interval to make sure that we're actually making progress. I've watched a lot of people who say they want to do this, want to do that, then they get lost in the sauce, right? Correct. They don't take action. Or too often, and and let's face it, You know, in the world, there's a lot of noise. All these people tell you that they're going to make you wealthy and do these things. And most of it is wasted because they're telling you you hype. Well, yeah, it's it's the pitch, right? But how Mm -hmm. do you know, or maybe you could give us some tips because I I guess you never really know until you know. But can you give us some tips on vetting masterminds or even coaches since you've been through both and had some good experiences? I think it's harder to vet a coach. And, and honestly, so we come back to the pricing thing, right? A coach charges $1,000 because a coach charges $1,000, but that also creates a price point of an expectation. It doesn't mean he's any better than the coach that was $100, right? So there's that. I think the question is, is have they walked the walk? Have they actually done what you want to do? Are you going to go hire a real estate coach who's never flipped a house? to teach you how to flip houses. And that's the problem. There's a lot of those people who, what they do is they go read 10 books on flipping houses. And then they say, I'm a coach on flipping houses, but they've never actually done it. So I think that's the first part. Have they actually walked the walk? Do they know how to do it? And 
do they have a certain skill set that's good at that? So let's talk about Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods is probably the best golfer, but he has a golf coach. Is that golf coach better than him? No, but there's something that he has that he can see that's an innate to him that provides value to Tiger. And so that's the question. Can you find that person who can see that thing that you can't see, who can provide you the value to make the change? For mastermind groups, it's look at the people in the group. What are they doing? What's the entry criteria? What kind of success are they having? You know, go sit in a session. Are they all sitting around whining or is everyone going, hey, it's time to do these things and make sure they're in alignment with your values. So my my mastermind group is in alignment with my values. I don't think I would want to go to something like GoBundance because it's just different. They have different goals and values than I do at this point in my life. So make sure that the, the group you pick is in alignment with the values that you have and they're going to help you achieve it. And they've walked that walk. It's it's that that's the biggest thing. Are they actually doing what they say they're going to do? That authenticity piece, right? Actually being able to verify or validate that people are doing the thing that they're saying is foundationally different than what most people expect. Most of it's just a shiny wrapper, right? <laughs> and they don't really care what's inside as long as the they've got the confetti or whatever the packing little squiggly papers are and they get to unwrap it and doesn't really matter what's in the box for a lot of people. And then there's other people who don't even care whether it's in a brown paper bag or some shiny box, but when they pull it out and they get the thing and they see the quality of the product that was delivered to them, that experience that they have, that feeling that they have far outweighs the excitement of opening it. So I'll take this a step further. This is the dirty little secret of the self-help education world. You see all these courses get sold, right? Do you know what the average completion rate is for people who buy courses? Like 2%. Yeah. People buy the course and they never take it. My superpower, which I didn't even realize was a superpower. When I bought a course, I took it. Even if I didn't like it, I finished it. I paid for this. I'm going to go through it. I'm going to get the value. I'm going to figure it out. And I'll plow through and I'll get it done. And if I don't get it done, I feel bad. So I got to get it done. And that's the shame. People all put all this money in and they don't do the work. And that's the problem. It's the same thing. Planet Fitness. You know how Planet Fitness can make a business model of a gym at 10 bucks? Because their business model isn't being a gym. Their business model is you get to pay 10 bucks to say, hey, I belong to a gym. What? They don't expect you to show up at the gym. People pay 10 bucks to say, I belong to a gym. Yeah, I'm cool. I belong to a gym. And I I love that you said that because for me, the investment for coaching and masterminds has to be at a number where you actually execute. From my perspective, it's really difficult for me to spend time with folks who just want to say that they're doing the thing. Versus the ones who are going to do everything they can to get that return on investment. For me, I'm addicted to them getting the result. The money is just there to keep everybody accountable. And so this whole concept of just selling somebody something so they can say that they did the thing or they made an investment to solve the or fix the problem. I, <laughs> it, it, it irks me, man. It hurts me too, but it you see these people, they get hyped up and excited and they buy stuff, but they don't do it. And that's where, so 
I love Russell Brunson as far as how he teaches, but there's a line in his book that, that struck me hard. He said, if you build a product or something for people who take action, you will have eliminated 98% of your audience. I'll go, cool. I'm going to build something for people who take action because I don't want the 98%. Give me the 2%. I'll live with 2%, but at least we're rolling and we're doing. Yeah. 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 This is a totally different commitment level. And I, I think the outcome or the return on that commitment investment is magnitudes greater than anything you could expect for you know, Walmart prices, for lack of a better way of characterizing. I mean, that's their business model, right? To be the cheapest alternative and sell a bunch of it. And, you know, whether people actually enjoy the product or not, doesn't really matter. They got a deal. You know, for basic household stuff that you use once a year, Walmart's fine. Yeah. But if you're a chef and you're cooking every day and you're using the knife every day, go buy a great knife. If you cook once a year at Thanksgiving, go to Walmart. It's appropriate. Mm. So we we can elevate this, right? And talk about impact or influence on our life. If you want to change your life, you probably should make a pretty significant investment in order to get that change because you're going to be hitting against that thing pretty hard. You're going to be using it. So you probably want something that's commercial grade versus getting, you know, the residential use. I just bought a pressure washer this morning. You you don't want the $99 pressure washer if you're washing houses for a living, right? No, not if you're washing houses for a living. You don't. I've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on self-development and I still spend a lot of money on self-development. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I know, so go ahead. I know people who spent over a million dollars on self-development and it's been profitable to them. It better be, right? I mean, if you make that investment, it's not a consumable. And I think a lot of people miss that, right? Like you're not spending that money to consume the thing and then it turns into waste. You're going to use that. You're going to harness it. You're going to redeploy the things that you picked up in order to grow and become, I think, more successful is the way I would love to characterize it. So I, I like to ask these last couple of questions at the end because I think they give us insight into where you're going. We've, we've talked a lot about where you've been and what you've been doing currently, and you've been really generous with your philosophy, which I actually find really refreshing. Um, so Rocky, what dream are you most focused on catching next? The dreams are more internal versus external. It's more, you, you've heard of the serenity prayer, right? Yep. And, and so it's, how do I make the serenity prayer just the way I operate? How do I redefine me that I'm not affected by what's going on in the world, that I'm comfortable in my own skin in that whatever happens around me, it happens and I don't need to react to it. I can still be joyous no matter what that is in good times and in bad. So it's, it's self-development of the inner game, inner peace, inner happiness. That's probably the biggest thing that I'm working towards. I have enough money to live the life I want. I don't have big needs. And so that's no longer a journey. My kids are launching. So, you know, the dream is grandkids to play with, but that's not my choice. I don't get to pick it. You know, I don't know when that'll happen. That's not something in my control. It'll be fun. Look forward to it. So right now it's just the inner journey. Inner journey. If you had to pick one thing you want the listeners to take away from this episode, what would it be? Take action. 
Just take one freaking baby step. I don't care what it is. If you want to get in shape, just sign up for the gym and actually go there. You know, that's my favorite joke. You know what the heaviest weight is at my gym? The front door. (laughs) Just go, right? If you want to build wealth, start with 1%. You will not miss a penny out of a dollar. You won't miss a hundred, you know, or 10 bucks out of, or even one out of a hundred. You won't miss one out of a hundred. So just set up an automated savings system that takes 1% of all your revenue and puts it away. And every quarter up your 1% by 1%, baby steps. The end of the year, you have a 4% savings rate. At the end of five years, you have a 20% savings rate and you won't even miss the 1% along the way. You blow it. Just take up, figure something out where you want to move forward, figure out what's the little baby step you can take and then take the baby step and then just keep taking them. So you're saying it's not about massive action? No, no. Baby step. I think so many people miss that and they get overwhelmed with the thought of having to do so much stuff that they just freeze and they're like, I can't do anything. And you're saying it doesn't take a whole lot to make a big difference. So BJ Fogg is big into how do you build these habits and make changes. And he says, if you want to start flossing your teeth, start with one, just floss one tooth. That's how small the baby step is. And then eh, go to two and eventually you'll get to where you need to be. Rocky, Rocky, Rocky. This, my friend, was amazing, man. I appreciate you going deep with me, talking some real life philosophy. I think a lot of people are out here trying to figure out how to get to the next thing, the biggest thing, chasing things that they don't really care about, don't really improve their lives. But the thing that stuck with me, the big one, was 40% of your action leads to 96% of your results. That 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 makes you recalibrate and rethink how much waste is actually happening in your world, my friend. So I, I'm grateful for you to come on and share with us. Uh, this was absolutely a beautiful episode, my friend. Can I ask your listeners to do me a favor? Absolutely. If you enjoyed the show with Jerome today, would you hit like? Would you share it with somebody who needs this message? Would you give him a little love? That's just a way to be nice in the world. From one podcaster to another, you know how important it is for people to like, share, and give those written reviews. To the listeners, your dreams should be real. We'll talk soon. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.